Hello and welcome to the third episode of Westside Radio's Zoom podcast series, The Breakout Room, where we discuss current events and then break out into games, quizzes, and off-topic discussion. I'm Westside Story Online Editor-in-Chief, Alex Carlin. And I am Westside Story reporter, Renee Gould. And today we are joined by a panel of two lovely Westside Story staffers, and I will let them introduce themselves. Um, I'm Alyssa Scala. I am the yearbook managing editor and a photographer for the online and print publications. Hi, I'm Camille Gretter, and I'm the assistant sports editor for the online and yearbook publications. All right. Thank you guys so much for joining us. Um, as a warm up every week on the breakout, or I guess every month on the breakout room, we share our highs and lows from the week thus far. So the best thing that happened and then the worst. So I can go first. I don't have any ones that are very interesting, but I think my low has just been like stress about college stuff as like every senior can relate to right now. And then my high, I don't really have anything that big, but last night I got pokeballs and it was really good and a good time to have dinner with my mom. So yeah, you guys can go ahead. Um, I guess I can relate to that college thing. I'm very stressed. That's low. Um, like all these scholarship applications that are due like April 1st. It is definitely just super stressful, but also I did receive Journalist of the Year third place, so that is definitely a high. I can go next. Uh, so I would say my high is uh, we are currently planning on having puppies this summer, which is going to be really nice. Uh, however, the low is that uh, we were looking at some puppies down in Texas who sadly got uh, parvo and didn't make it. My low for the week is probably probably the weather just because it's kind of bringing down my mood. I really miss the sun and I really hope it gets warmer. Um, my high for the week is probably I loved spring break, but I really like having um, a set schedule. So this week having something to do and like having like a normal schedule for myself has been nice. It's also been a little bit stressful just because it's busy, but it's been nice to um, get back into a routine. Great. Thank you guys so much for sharing. Um, here on the Breakout Room podcast, we have two segments every episode, the first one being about school or local news, and the second covering global news. But this isn't your typical news podcast. After every piece of news, we wrap up with a game or an activity to just spice things up a little bit. So today I'm going to kick us off with a recap of our school slash district news and then later Renee will fill us in on what's been going on in the world at large. So I'm going to start us off with talking about a press citizen guest column that revisited ICCSD's climate change policy. So on March 19th, City High student Massimo Pacioto Biggers, apologies for any mispronunciation, um, on behalf of the Iowa City Climate Strikers published a guest column in the Press Citizen explaining why he feels as though ICCSD climate policy has not been aggressive enough or really just hasn't even been initiated. Um, in the column, he cites the district's July 2019 climate plan and how the district took no steps that entire year to enact the policy in said plan besides hiring an quote out of town firm to make a survey. He also explains the way in which in the year 2020, the district failed to correctly report their CO2 emissions and climate actions and did not provide a concrete update about their intentions to follow through on their 2019 climate action plan. The Iowa City climate strikers feel as though the global climate strikers theme of hashtag no more empty promises is really an apt way to describe the feelings of district students this year as calls to action really go 
largely unnoticed. So I guess to start off, just what are your guys' reactions to this? How do you feel about the district's lack of action following the 2019 strike? Well, so I'm like definitely disappointed. I didn't know like how in-depth it was, but I know Massimo and I know he's like really um, informed on that and I know he keeps track of everything. So for me, I would believe him if he said that schools aren't following through with promises and the city isn't. So to me, that's just like disappointing because I mean, climate change is a really, like it's an actual problem that is going to impact everyone's lives. So, I mean, I think it's more important to focus on that than to focus on, you know, like smaller problems that the city like constantly like marijuana, like this is a little bit controversial, but like, it doesn't really make sense to me why there's empty promises being made if the city knows that they can't fill them. I definitely agree. I think, although there is so much other like things going on district wide, like the pandemic has just taken so much of a toll on everyone's lives. And the administration is just swamped with like contact tracing across all the schools and everything, but it still should be like the whole climate thing should be in their back pocket. And maybe even if they're not speaking about it, they are thinking about it. So I'm gonna remain optimistic that um, we can really bring light to the situation and the administration and ICCSD will take it more seriously. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I definitely agree with what you guys said. And I think it's honestly just disappointing to see, you know, this, you know, big strike and protests and students getting involved and then uh, not particularly much hap happening afterward. I just think it's disappointing. I would agree with what all of you guys said. I, I don't know if any of you guys were at the like big strike in 2019, um, but the energy was just like so amazing. There was like thousands of people there or something like that, like all chanting. And then I know after um, like the legislation from the district was passed, there was like a lot of buzz and excitement, but now kind of seeing that nothing's really happened, it kind of feels like they were just trying to not silence the strikers, but I don't know, kind of quiet them down and like brush that problem away and then um, not really follow through on it. And so I'm really happy that we have the climate strikers who are speaking up and holding the district accountable. Um, so you guys kind of touched on this, but do you think the obstacles posed by the pandemic are a valid excuse for the district's inaction these past few years? Um, I think that maybe for like the first couple months that we were dealing with it, from like March to the end of the school year last year, maybe it could have been an excuse, but it's been a whole year of the pandemic being a problem. And so, I mean, I feel like as students, we've definitely figured out how to handle it. Like we're still going to class online or in person, still applying to colleges and things like that. So I feel like if the district is just like, if they can get their schedule down and be able to work through the pandemic like we are, they should definitely have time to focus on the promises that they made to us. Like, that's just the thing. Like, it's been a year of the pandemic. To me personally, it's not an excuse to not get work done anymore. I 100% agree. I think school board meetings, I have attended quite a few of them. Um, like, <clears throat> sorry, in the beginning, like August through November when they were happening online. And a lot of the things that they were discussing were like random 
or seemingly random, like what we're going to do to get the money to finish the West High renovations. Like, well, right now we're still in whatever phase two or three, you know, we don't even have to be thinking about how we're going to go like do all these other things. Like there's more that we need to be focusing on environmentally wise that is affecting like this construction stuff. And so I feel they, they just need to like talk about it. And maybe that's something a community community member could bring up in the um, next school board meeting. Yeah, and I mean, again, I definitely agree, though I really think it's important to hammer in the point that there's this expectation for the citizens and for the students that we get back to normal as best as we can, that we put in all this effort and time and energy to get back to what we need to be doing to help the economy and to live, and then to just not see that at all in the school board. And what the school board is doing is just, once again, it's just, it's disappointing of the like, you expect us as students to go back to school and find ways to stay safe and study and maintain exactly the same level of commitment and dedication and grades that we had before this. And yet you can't seem to do the same thing. Just the like little bit of hypocrisy there. And, you know, as I've said a couple of times now, it's just, it's disappointing. It's just, what are you even doing? You know, and I, I can see how those kind of budget things can seem really important. But uh, Alyssa mentioned like this kind of environmental stuff does actually affect these other projects. So if you're not going to take them into consideration now, that can just cause a much bigger problem later. Yeah, it definitely seems like they are laying down the law for everyone else, but not following that law themselves, which again, I guess the word disappointing just keeps coming up in the conversation. So maybe this is something that they need to look at deeper. Definitely, yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. And I feel like as they were having all these discussions about like remote school and going online, it would have been very easy to like weave in the conversation about how, I don't know, that kind of those changes are related to changes they can make um, regarding being more environmentally friendly, like going paperless in some ways. And I know that's not, those aren't really the changes that the climate strikers are talking about. They're talking more like large scale our emissions, but even those small mm -hmm. things I think can make the difference. And so I feel like it would have, wouldn't have been that hard to weave those discussions in. And so again, disappointing. <laughs> um, so I don't know what immediate action, if any, would you like to see from the district? Like what first steps do you think they can take um, after these years of inaction? I would love to see the board docs include something about promises that they have made, or especially since there's a new principal at West High, there's a new superintendent, like all these people are very new and to get like elected per se, they had to make all of these and say, this is what I want to change. I would love to see that like on paper or in a document with their signatures on it saying, these are the steps we're taking now. And when they start getting behind on these things to like keep informing the public and the students and just everyone in Iowa City, North Liberty, you know, um, that they still have them in their back pocket instead of just completely like ignoring the subject or honestly saying no comment on a lot of the stuff that when reporters like us go and ask these questions to the district, they just say no comment or we can't speak on that now. I just love for them to say, we can't speak on that now, but we will be speaking on this later or we still have it in our minds. Yeah, I totally agree. And the other thing is too, like with new positions, 
with like taking out the interim title, like for Mr. Degner, it's like right now everyone's looking at him because he's new and he could totally change the entire like the just like everything about the school board. Like he could totally change it because he's the new superintendent. So I feel like now is the time for him to go back. I don't know all of the promises that Massimo is technically talking about in the article, but like now's the time for him to go back and show these kids in our school district who are so dedicated to supporting their opinions that they got one of the biggest activists in the world, Greta Thunberg, to notice them. Like that's how that's how much they care. They're just they care so much. Like that is how you reach out to your students that are in your district is you tell them, hey, I'm listening to you. And maybe we can't solve this because of pandemic, but I promise you in August of 2021, we're gonna come back and we're gonna fulfill all of those promises. Like I think as a student, that's what I wanna hear. And that's just not what we're getting right now, which is again, disappointing. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I definitely agree with you guys. I have a slightly more just pessimistic view of it all, which is the like, I would just as a bare minimum, like them to even just take the responsibility for the carbon emissions that they do that they are putting out. Just the like bare minimum. Yes, here is the problem. Here is where all these emissions are coming from. Partially because I think it's a good first step to raising awareness of where these carbon emissions are coming from. Because we get a general idea that, well, maybe it's from individual students and I just don't feel like that's entirely true. So having a more accurate picture of where changes could be the most effective. And then also just having to go through that process. I think it would, you know, there's already, as you guys talked about, there's already a lot of awareness around this, but also just raising awareness within the members of the board of like, hey, actually this is a big problem that we are, that our inaction has contributed to substantially and hopefully getting some more of those like board members behind it. Or even just um, as you mentioned earlier, getting new people on the board who do have that as their priorities or having uh, the new superintendent or the new principal who have made these promises, even just like write them down and have the moment of, these are the promises I made and I still want them to go through and here's what I'm currently thinking of doing would be helpful. Even if they did have to say, well, we're going to have to postpone it. We're not going to be able to talk about it yet or we're not going to be able to implement it yet. Just having that like reassurance of, to the public of we are thinking about this. We are considering it. We care, I think would be massively helpful. Yeah, for sure. And just adding on to what you were saying about reporting emissions, I read that um, the climate strikers even were able to like talk to companies and get free quotes for like to, I guess, measure the amount of emissions from the district. And then when the district went to report emissions themselves, the climate strikers had to fact check them because they didn't even get their numbers right when a group of these high schoolers were able to get like these free quotes that were more accurate. Um, and to echo what Camille was saying, I heard that the strikers were even like turning down awards left and right. I think they were honored as like citizen of the year and they like turned that down because they just don't feel like any action has even come from um, all of their protesting. And so, yeah, it's like inspiring mm -hmm. to their dedication, but it's a sad and again, disappointing that they even have to do that um, because of the lack of action. So 
All right, um, for our game slash trivia for this piece of news, we have some omissions during COVID-19 trivia questions. So the first one is, how much does the United Nations project that the world will need to cut carbon emissions per year to prevent the Earth from warming the 1.5 degrees Celsius above pre-industrial temperatures? Um, that's reported to be kind of like the danger zone. So how much will we need to cut emissions? Is it A, 7.6%, B, 15.4%, C, 9.7%, or D, 20.3%? This is a hard question. It is, I know. <laughs> I mean, I think I'm going to go with C, 9.6, because that seems like high, but it also seems really low when there's like the D answer of 20.3 or maybe B. Okay, my final answer is B, 15.4. Yeah, I'm going to have to go with, I'm probably going to have to go with B too, because I feel like it is a really large number that we need to cut, but I don't know if it's necessarily 20%, but it is yeah. definitely like, definitely in the double digits I feel okay so B as well <laughs> all right I'm gonna go with D mainly because it's the highest number you put up there so if I'm right then I get the like yay I'm right and if I'm wrong then we're actually doing better than I thought so I went either way I like the strategy. Okay. From the article I read, they said actually a 7.6% um, like in the next few years, I think is what we need to um, go down to before we warm up. So a small amount, but clearly it's harder to meet that than one might think because we have not been doing the best job recently. Right. That's okay. like a real surprise. Yeah. I think even that low of a number could be simply like turning off the lights in schools in the school on weekends. Why are our parking lot lights on 24 seven? Why are the lights in the building always on? Like that is a small change that I have not heard anything about, you know, I don't need to be driving by, you know, coming home from practice at 12 AM and see the lights on in the entire school building. Like, what is that for? You know, we have so many classrooms, so many lights. It's just total waste. That yeah. is so true. I don't even know if that's correlated to like emissions, but even like from a saving money perspective, like why? <laughs> Definitely. And I'm actually, I'm pretty glad it's such a low number because it feels far more obtainable than that 20% goal. Um, also, you know, I kind of disagree with Alyssa here. I don't feel like it's even just like individual schools that are part of the problem. I feel like we just need far better regulations on major companies who are putting out the most emissions because there's there's no reason for why they should be putting out the majority of the emissions while people are being told to cut down like they, they kind of need to step up to the plate here a little bit. Um, but yeah, I mean, I am just kind of glad it's such a low number. Um, it's just, it's reassuring. Yes, for sure. Okay, hopefully the next one is a little easier. This is a true or false. So true or false, the pandemic has had a large impact in the fight against climate change. I think true. I think true as well. I have seen, especially in the first couple months of the initial quarantine, I saw a lot just, I mean, on news and on social media, which isn't always the most reliable, I know, but um, just a lot of like marine life moving more towards coasts of towns because there wasn't as much, you know, yuckiness. And so I feel like 
more people staying inside at the beginning of the pandemic definitely helped a little bit. Now that people aren't doing that, I don't know if there's been, if we've gone back to the before or I don't know what's happened, but I definitely feel like it has had a significant impact on the global, global cl climate change. Yeah, I would also definitely say true. Um, part of it too is just the like reducing all of these different emissions. Nobody is driving as much, or at least almost nobody is driving as much as they used to. Nobody is really buying as much as they used to. Everyone's kind of, you know, since we're all, uh, particularly towards that like beginning of the pandemic, we were all kind of just stuck where we were, you know, um, so we weren't doing quite as much. And so we didn't have quite as big of an impact on the environment. So I think it's definitely true, even if it's, you know, as we start to get vaccinated and reopen, even if it's starting to kind of go back down a little bit. Yeah, I think especially with travel, I mean, we're using cars, buses, airplanes, all of this, but look how easy it is to do 100% of these things over Zoom. Even if these large corporations didn't fly out to California to have their big conferences and they did like a good chunk of it, even on Zoom, that would cut emissions greatly. All right, so according to the BBC article I read, the answer is actually false. Um, although at the start of the pandemic, there was a pretty large decrease in carbon emissions as like factories and stuff shut down in areas where a lot of the emissions come from were um, like largely shut down. That really wasn't really enough to do it since things, I guess, opened up so quickly. And then, um, yeah, that one like very quick period of change, I guess, wasn't enough to make a large um, impact. So reactions to that? I'm over two. So I feel like, uh, wow, I need to read the news a little bit more maybe. That definitely puts the 7.6% in a perspective because it seems like such a small number, but then when you look at it, like, oh my gosh, we were in quarantine for what, three, four months, and that still didn't help in the long run? Like, oh my God, we really gotta step up our game. Like, this is a big number to actually achieve. Yeah, you know, and like you just said, 7.6, it seems like such a tiny percent, but in practice, it can actually, you know, obviously it can mean a lot for the environment, but it can mean a lot of changes uh, for us, yeah. Okay. Also, I feel like I might have been unclear in my statistics, but it's seven seven point six percent per year for the next decade. So, I mean, it kind of does add up. Oh, so, yeah. it eventually I, adds I, up. All right. Correctly okay. represented that number. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, hopefully, that true or false one might help you out with the next question, which is: In what month of the pandemic were global CO two emissions most confined, or I guess cut down? So, A. March of twenty twenty. B. April of twenty twenty. July of 2020 or D October 2021? Have we had October 2020? We have not had October 2021, Alex. Oh my god, you guys are so right. <laughs> I meant October, October 2020. 2020. That's so funny. <laughs> Ignore me. I definitely think April. I think March, we kind of got quarantined like at the end of March, so it wouldn't have had as much of an impact. I think April is definitely a big one, but also we did see that spike in the summer. So July seems kind of, but I think I'm going to go with April. I'm going to go with April as well. I would say 
because we did have the spike in July, but we had the spike because people started coming out of quarantine then. And I don't think people really saw the spike. And I don't think a lot of people cared because like, I know I was working at a restaurant and there are still hundreds of people coming to dine every day. So obviously in April we were closed. So I'm going to say April, I think every, pretty much everyone was quarantined during the entire, the entirety of that month. Yeah, well, now I can't say April. Thanks, guys. Um, all right, I kind of do also agree. I also kind of think it's April, but I will go with July when we were kind of starting to get into like full everything shut down quarantine. Um, yeah. Alex is going to throw an October at us. Yeah. She is. It's going yeah. to be October 2020. Yeah, it's to come. It's October 20. No, okay. Sorry for the incorrect date. You guys are actually correct this time. Good job. It was April 20th. Um, like I said before, that was kind of the period where a lot of those high emission producing countries were shut down for a small bit of time. So yes, that was the month that made the most impact. All right, I'm going to go into my statewide news piece, which is about the Iowa House passing bills, expanding open enrollment and shortening the wait time for athletes transferring to compete in high school athletics at new schools. So this information comes from a Des Moines Register article by Ian Richardson. So yesterday, the Iowa House passed a portion of Governor Kim Reynolds's education proposal with some of the highlights, including an expanded definition of the term good cause, which refers to the reason that students who are taking advantage of open enrollment are choosing to switch schools. So under this new definition, students can be defined as having a good cause to switch schools if their school is, quote, in significant need of improvement, which means that it's like designated by the state as like needing a lot of improvement or being, I guess, a school that doesn't necessarily meet their standards. So if families' requests to change schools are denied, they are also allowed to appeal to the state if they can prove that their school district has consistently failed to meet the needs of their students. So the bill also shortened the waiting period for high school athletes who have transferred to a new school and intend to participate in sports. Well, they used to have to wait 90 school days. They now only have to wait 90 calendar days. And the schools that the student is transferring to and the school that they're transferring from can also choose to waive this waiting period completely. So the article includes a quote from Representative Dave Jacoby, a Democrat from Coralville, who says that the reduction of this waiting period is, quote, a launching pad for high school trading cards. So I guess we can start by talking about like the school choice. Um, Issue. So what are your guys' opinions on open enrollment and what do we think about the house making it a lot easier for students to potentially switch schools or switch districts? So I know we're podcasting, but um, Camille and I's hands just went over our mouths when we heard the sports part um, as people both very invested in like even just West High athletics, that 90 day period is something that, I mean, we're basically having college athletes now, like we're just that will make such for such an unfair advantage and academic wise, like if a school's not doing well or not meeting standards, why is the state just letting the kids get out of that school? Why aren't they doing something to improve it, I guess? Yeah, I agree. Um, I think it's on one hand, it's good that students that, you know, are in a school where maybe their needs are not being met and they're having issues with within the school, maybe with peers or teachers or something like that. I think it's great that they're offered a way to get out, but I mean, like Alyssa said, there's, if a school was deemed 
heightened, like not reaching requirements by the state, instead of just letting everyone move out of the school, like please do something. Like school is really important to teenagers and children. So I think instead of just offering them an escape plan, they should just try to fix the problem. Yeah, I mean, I definitely agree with what you guys said. It's like, you know, if you're getting on a plane, you want some assurance that, you know, they actually built the plane to fly correctly and didn't just add a whole bunch of parachutes. Like, you know, uh, kind of would assume that if the state determines that this school is in significant need of improvement, that they would then go through and improve the school instead of just, you know, offering parents the ability to go somewhere else that's better. Uh, you know, you would kind of just hope that their instinct would not be go find another school. It would instead be let's fix it. Um, yeah, and I mean, we keep circling back to this word, but it's just disappointing. Yeah, I totally agree. And when I think of this kind of the first thing my mind goes to is like, okay, if the school is bad and all of, I guess, the higher socioeconomically placed like students are able to afford to like move out of the district or um, like have transportation to be able to go to a different school, then that's leaving all of the people who I guess are like in a lower socioeconomic place left at the school. So it's like disadvantaging everyone all around. And then again, yeah, why wouldn't they just fix the schools? So I don't know. Do you guys have any other thoughts on like inequities that could arise because of school choice and the ability to switch being made easier? I mean, we've already seen this happen at Liberty and West. The transfer of athletes from Liberty to West and the transfer of students from West to Liberty. It's just, it's not, it's not equal at all, but what are we doing about it? We're not doing anything. Yeah, I agree with Alyssa. Um, and like going even further into sports, like we're gonna start trading kids like we're in the freaking NBA. Like it's gonna be, oh, we want him. So it's like, there's always been jokes, you know, about private schools. I'm not gonna name any, obviously. Recruiting kids and giving them scholarships to go there because they are great schools. But now it's going to be for real. Like there's going to be high schools that are legitimately recruiting high school athletes, which should not be happening. Like it's high school athletics. It shouldn't be something. It's for fun. Yes. It's not college. It's not at that level yet. We're not at that level yet. It's a practice round per se for going to college. That's why they have college recruiting from high school. You can tell who the good athletes are. That's why you want to recruit them. If you had all the same great athletes at the same school, you're not going to be able to tell because they're all going to work as a team and they're just going to be unstoppable. Yeah. To me, like athletics perspective, it's just, it's going to, it's fine right now. Like I understand students needing to switch schools, but it's going to be blown way out of proportion in the next couple of years when coaches, when the rules start getting a little bit looser and coaches start trading kids, obviously I, it won't be as easy because, you know, like you can't take someone from Dowling and just expect their whole family to move here. Like that won't happen, but like Liberty and West, easy. Student coaches can easily be like, hey, I want your kid. And if that kid wants to go to West, that kid will go to West. Like that's just what our reality is going to be. If a kid wants to go to a certain school and if they're athletic enough, they're going to be able to get in there. And even bringing like academics in this, like 
is our, let's say like football coach going to be like, Hey, well, I know this teacher who teaches English and they'll be your English teacher. And I see you're struggling in English, you know, like if you come and play for us, we can help you out this academic wise. Like, are we going to see that start happening? And that is 100% unfair. Like the English departments across the board, across the nation should all be the same and have the same requirements to like graduate. Yeah, I absolutely agree with everything you said. And then we also kind of go back to like, you know, high school is, you know, high school and college and the differences between them and also the differences between professionalism and the real world, particularly in sports. So like, we don't want it to be like, honestly, how it is in colleges right now where athletes are taking ridiculously easy easy a classes in order to continue to play sports because that's not what's particularly that's not what high schools are for they're not why they're there um and I definitely think it is a concern of you know um like the representative said using kids as trading cards um and you know obviously once again it's not going to be like people from you know Seattle or Maine are going to come to I all of a sudden like, but once again just between like west and liberty you're going to probably end up with one of them being exceptionally strong in sports to the point of being completely unstoppable um just because once they got a couple of really good kids on the team all the other kids who were good just wanted to go and play for them um yeah i just i it just it seems like a generally bad idea and I totally understand that sometimes you just you move or something happens and if you're an athlete having those that like you know three plus month long waiting period can be a lot particularly if it's in the middle of your season um but I feel like the risks don't outweigh that uh and you know it's also again a case-by-case basis um yeah I just I feel like the risks outweigh the rewards of if we were to just waive the waiting period. All right, so we are gonna pick back up today with our game for the news piece that was about um, like open enrollment for schools and athletes transferring. So the game is under Iowa law, would they be allowed to switch schools? Um, so I'm gonna give a scenario and you guys are gonna guess whether or not um, in this case, the student would be allowed to, um, I guess, switch to a new school or a new district under Iowa's new open enrollment laws. So. Scenario one is that a student's parents are divorced and custody is given to a parent who resides in a different district than the student currently resides in. Are they allowed to transfer schools? Yes. Yes. I would hope so. Okay. Yes, they are allowed to transfer schools. Okay. Um, scenario two, a student moves to a different town to receive mental health treatment. Are they allowed to transfer schools while they are in treatment? I want to say no. I would hope it would be yes, but it's, I think it's probably no. I have the like pessimistic feeling that it's a no, even though I would once again really, really hope that it would be allowed. It's actually a yes, so that's good. Like if um, <laughs> are medical treatment, mental health treatment, they are allowed to find a new school. So yes, that's good. Okay. 
And then the last scenario is a student's assigned school lacks the technological resources that a student or family feels are necessary for the student's success. Are they allowed to switch schools? I would believe so. Um, I'm gonna go on limb and say no. Yeah, I mean, part of what we were talking about above is, um, you know, that that would be now allowed, uh, I think under the new law. So yes, under that new law. Yeah, so this one is kind of like a, it depends situation. So um, like we were talking about the other uh, last week, um, if the state deems that the school is like in grave need of like repairs or isn't really up to the school's standards, um, the student would be allowed to switch. So, or of course they could also petition the state um, if their school isn't classified as that. Um, but yeah, so you guys did pretty good with those scenarios. Um, I will pass it over to Renee to kick off the world slash national news portion of the podcast. All right, yes. So hello everybody. So first of all, I want to talk about the um, NCAA and the sexism that is going on there, particularly with March Madness. For example, for the weight rooms, women's were the women's weight room had a single stand of barbells and the men's uh, had a massive room full of multiple machines. Uh, luckily, after pushback, the NCAA gave the women's teams what they called the same amenities, so it was pretty clearly not uh, equal. Uh, as well, this is a smaller issue, but with things like gift bags that are given to all the athletes, men had multiple products that were specially made for the event, as well as items that would be useful during the event. And women's got typically brand name products, a puzzle, an umbrella, and a blanket. Uh, and then also there's the problem of coaches who have children. So if a coach has a child that they would like to take with them and feed, they are actually required to cut in another, another employee from the payroll, which often ends up being personal trainers for the team. Thoughts? There's too many things to say. I mean, <laughs> I, I have debated this with my like family a lot. And I do like to play devil's advocate because with the gift bags, you know, they can't really control what is being donated. Many of the like men's things, you know, companies like let's say Dove or PNG, they donate more stuff that's like fit for men. So you're not going to give a woman men's deodorant. And that could be a reason, but also the whole title like law or whatever that they have is everything's equal in the money pool. It isn't about revenue between men and women, it's revenue combined. Additionally, I saw a stat that was just by the streaming alone, the men make 850 million, which is plenty, just just on streaming alone, which is plenty of money to have everything be equal. And the tweets that I was reading with like food, like even if weight rooms aren't as equal, like the women should not be getting reheated freezer meals for lunch when they're playing a sport and working so hard. Yeah, I agree. And um, I've seen several like things on social media, especially TikTok. There's been a lot of, I know that's not the most reliable source, but it is crazy. And with like the whole weight room situation, the NCAA came out and said that it was because the women's tournament didn't have enough room inside of the um, like practice area when 
And then several, several players from different teams released videos saying like, hey, there's all this room, like what's going on? And that's when they decided to fix it is when they're, they got called out for it, which I think is ridiculous. I mean, obviously it's a very well-known fact that men, men's basketball, like whether it's the NBA or NCAA makes more money. And I don't think that will ever change. Sadly, I just think it's like always going to be that people would rather watch men's sports, which is the sad, sad thing. But it's also like, I think like a big part of this is just like showing that the NCAA will literally try to get away with prioritizing someone, even if the men make them more money, they still need to show the women's teams that they care about them because otherwise women aren't going to go to play college basketball if they're getting treated unfairly. Like I wouldn't, like if I knew that Luca Garza was getting so much more, um, like I guess stuff donated to his team than Caitlin Clark was, on the women's on Iowa women's basketball like that's not fair like just because they don't make as much money doesn't mean places like Powerade is a huge sponsor this year doesn't mean that Powerade can't like still send them as much stuff because Powerade has enough money and if they're going to send a whole bunch of stuff to the men's they need to say send the same amount to the women's teams or just don't do it at all like if it's not going to be equal don't do it like I just think it's unfair Yeah, you guys really said it all. So I'll just echo that. I don't know. It just feels kind of stupid on their part. Like, I feel like it wouldn't have been that hard to make everything equal. And the bad press that they're getting as a result is definitely going to, I don't know, take more of a chunk out of their earnings or whatever than um, it would have taken to make things equal. So yeah, it's just sad. And I'll go back to our favorite word, disappointing. Yeah, and I mean, kind of going off of what y'all said, it actually, for me personally, it doesn't even make sense that there's a distinction between men and women's sports. Like people try to bring up the argument that like there's different skilled levels, but obviously there is not an inherent different skill level between men and women. Um, you know, like there is some science to prove that there are differences in our bodies and how they work and everything, but that obviously does not mean that the skill levels are so massively different different than it requires that and if that's your argument shouldn't we just have you know two leagues based off of skill level with lower skill players being in one league and higher skill players being in another league instead of having men's and women's um yeah so I mean that's kind of just always a thought that I've had and I'm curious to throw it out to y'all and see what y'all have to say are you saying like it should not like men and women should play together? Yeah. I don't know if I see that like being a good idea. I don't know, I guess it's never been done before. It's done at young ages and you kind of grow out of it because it's just like a different thing. I don't know, I guess it's how we've never seen that before. So I'd be interested to see how it works, but for like certain sports, like you wouldn't see, or I guess I wouldn't want to see a man wrestling a woman. Like it, 
just doesn't make sense in my mind. I think it should just be more of an equality thing. Like, yeah, I don't know. That's yeah. a good point. But I mean, I, also something else, sorry, I interrupted you a little bit fine. there. Something else that we also know is, you know, this is a Supreme Court ruling. It isn't always true, but we have the Brown versus Board of Education, which says that separate but equal is never really equal. And if we're going by skill level, a man wrestling a woman is not a problem as they're at the same skill level. They would be at the same weight class, uh, which we know that wrestling goes by anyway within genders. So why not combine them? Uh, I mean, obviously there is a societal block there. Um, you know, it just, it doesn't make sense because we've never seen it before because our society inherently places men and women into opposing categories. Um, but yeah, I mean, it just, once I got past that, it just doesn't make sense to me why we wouldn't have mixed gender sports. I think it would definitely be an interesting concept to see just because, and especially with like the amount of the population now that's coming out as gender fluid or transgender, I think that would be cool if we had co-ed sports and that way there wouldn't be the issue of. Uh, he has male biology, but she wants to play women's basketball. Like there wouldn't be an issue if it was co-ed. So I think it would be a cool concept and definitely uh, more modernized. I think we haven't changed like the game of basketball since it started. So I think it could be interesting and it would definitely strike some controversy between every the entire United States, but I think it'd be something cool to research and look at. Yeah, Renee, I was going to say exactly what you said. Like, I feel like when you say that, like, we feel uncomfortable because just as society and just like all we've ever known is boys and girls being separated. And immediately we think like, oh, the boys would just overpower the girls, but you're right. There aren't really a lot of inherent differences that would, when it comes down to it, I don't know, affect things a lot. So I think that would be really interesting. And that's just an interesting idea as a whole with like what you said about Brown versus the Board of Education. That's a really great point. And I don't know, I think that idea probably scares people, but we, we should talk about that. That's really, I don't know, really interesting. So thank you for bringing that up. Yeah. And I mean, I probably definitely pissed off a whole bunch of people right there, but I don't care. Yeah. I'll have your opinion and you can come on and talk about it to us if you want, but yeah. Um, but actually, um, that kind of leads us into our next topic, which is actually transgender people in sports. And this obviously includes people who are gender fluid and non-binary, but generally talking about people who are transgender from male to female or female to male. Uh, so typically it's Republican lawmakers who are making anti-trans, uh, bills that are based around, uh, trans women and trans girls who are competing, who are wanting to compete in sports. Um, and actually a lot of the rhetoric they're talking about has been considered to be discriminatory, harmful, and unscientific by the American Civil Liberties Union. Um, and then I kind of put it as a side note down here, which is that it, once again, it doesn't make sense to me because there are obviously inherent differences, but if you're going to use inherent differences to say that women shouldn't play with men, then shouldn't Michael Phelps be not allowed to play sports? He biologically only has about half the lactic acid production 
which is what makes you feel tired. So he has a massive advantage over everybody and yet no one's calling for him to not play sports. Uh, so this kind of goes into what we were talking about before, uh, but I'm interested to hear your guys' opinions. Um, I think I kind of went into this in like the previous topic with the tournament with March Madness tournaments. It's definitely like a new concept. Like it's something that we like as Americans and across the world, honestly, like it's a very new concept of people who are transgender playing in their um, preferred gender sports. And like for me, like I have the opportunity to play a co-ed sport and be on a team with boys and girls. And I mean, it's like biologically men are more like are stronger and faster than women. Like I don't really understand why that's so unfair, but it's like, that's how it is. But I don't think like at the end of the day, like you shouldn't discriminate against someone because of the gender they identify as. Like, if you were to like discriminate against someone and say, oh, well, you're this race, so you're not very good at basketball, so blah, blah, blah. Like, that's kind of the same thing, like saying, oh, well, you have male genitalia, so you shouldn't be able to play volleyball with girls. Like, that's that's not really fair to me. Um, but I just like, I think it's really, for me, like I identify as a woman. So like, I don't, ha I don't have to deal with that. And I'm very privileged to not have to deal with that. But I don't know if it's like, it's so hard to imagine that there are legitimate laws discriminating, especially since like we live in a very modernized country. Like there aren't laws discriminating against people's race as much anymore as there used to be. But like, now like discriminating against someone's like sexual preferences and their gender preferences. Like it's, it, yeah, it's separating people into groups, which isn't something that's very modern or, you know, just like human decency in general. Like it's kind of mean to do that. Yeah, I don't really know if I'm like educated enough to speak on this topic. I just, wish people weren't so judgmental and harsh to other people but that's like a whole other problem in and of itself so i guess to me i don't see the difference between like any of the things we're talking about like a man is the same as a woman a woman is the same as a man i mean we're humans people just kind of need to get over it and I would also say that each of these things I would want to see like on a case by case basis and see more than just one white male making the decision of a law or several white men making the decision of a law. It would just be very refreshing to have different viewpoints in like the House or the Senate and the government at all. Agreed. Yeah, I totally agree with all of that. I feel like it kind of just comes down to like we were talking about last episode, like, are the people making these laws really worried about the athletics and like the integrity of the, of the sport? Or do they just want to push like a transphobic agenda? I don't know. But yes, totally agree. 
yeah, I mean, obviously I agree with what y'all said and, um, you know, I kind of have a little bit more of just an insider's perspective, uh, just cause I'm a part of the community. So I am more aware of what's going on there. And I will say that a lot of the rhetoric you guys talked about even comes within the community of, you know, there is, there are some biological differences between men and women. Um, and whether those are important or not. And there's a lot of rhetoric going on there, even within the LGBTQ plus community. Um, yeah, I think I think it's interesting to talk about with y'all. Um, her next topic is also still going into this same sort of vein, which is um, the rise of anti-Asian violence in America. So in a year, there has been roughly 3,800 anti-Asian incidents, mainly against women. Um, it's also important to note here that there is something to be said about the naming convention for diseases, calling it uh, the, the Chinese disease or the Asian disease has been incredibly harmful. There's no denying that, I don't think. Uh, first of all, the name COVID-19 comes from it being a coronavirus for which the shortening is COVID and being from 2019, so 19. We've had problems in the past with naming things like the Spanish flu or the swine flu. The Spanish flu resulted in the basically the banishing and harassment and murder of many Hispanic people. And with the swine flu, we saw many uh, you know, pigs being killed and chased off of property and all sorts of things. So I think it definitely is important to also mention that the name is important and we've seen uh, you know, when news stations or when the president called it the Chinese virus, that there was a rise. And then this also gets into the model uh, minority myth, which is the myth that Asians are sort of above other minorities. Um, yeah, and there's obviously a lot of other tie-ins and connections you can make to even other topics that we just talked about today. Um, but I'm interested to hear what y'all think. I think I can tie my last answer exactly into this one is, I mean, can people just treat everyone the same and stop judging? And I, and I get it. It's hard. Like I am no angel myself. I do judge people in my head sometimes, even sometimes out loud. Like it's just a common thing that we do. But if we all worked at it and we all got better at it, these problems would basically solve themselves. I mean, what we're talking about is even our president just bullying the Asian community saying that they started this when it could have started anywhere. And <clears throat> sorry, when like there's other diseases or viruses that have started in the United States and we don't go calling them like the white flu or like whatever that is. So simple short answer on this is just people need to stop being so judgmental and really work together for the same thing, which is like, I guess, happiness. Yeah, I agree. And I think the other thing um, that the problem is, is that people who are like authority figures and even someone like, like your parents, like to you, they're authority figures and like former president Donald Trump, he was an authority figure. And when those people that some like citizens idolize say stuff like oh well this um virus came from china so it's the chinese flu or not flu but you know what i mean 
um, Chinese virus, like people who idolize them are saying, oh, well, that's what they're saying. So I should say that too. And that's the problem is that people like that are racist, like there are so many people that are given power that are racist and given an audience and people listen to them because they respect them. And it's like, it's just hard to, I mean, like you, it takes a while for someone to figure out that a person is racist if they are like good at hiding it. So it's like kind of like, how can you choose leaders in your country, like knowing that they love everyone equally and they won't judge people like, and then those leaders who are given a platform and do wrong with it, like that's just disappointing. And so many people look up to them, like social media influencers, so many people look up to them. And when they say things like, oh, well, this is the Chinese virus, the people who idolize them are going to follow. And, and that's just, that's not something we should be having. And that just creates racism. For sure. I think that like racism against Asians is just so normalized, like whether it's like the token Asian character in like TVs, mo movies or like, um, yeah, like TVs or movies. TV shows or movies, sorry. <laughs> um, or whether it's like teachers, even in our own school, like perpetuating like the smart Asian stereotype or one thing that I've really seen as I've been applying to colleges, um, like racism within college admissions. And I just really quickly, quickly just Googled this graph um, that is from like a Vox article where it says that um, when college admissions officers are comparing Asian applicants and white applicants, um, Asian applicants have like a 140 point SAT penalty where it's like in the eyes of um, admissions officers, they need to score like 140 points higher to even be on like an even playing field, if that makes sense. I explained that so poorly, but yeah, I think um, racism against Asians is just so normalized and it's sad that it's taken um, these tragedy tragedies to bring that to a lot of people's attention. Yeah, I mean, I definitely agree with y'all. Um, if anyone has anything else to say, here's kind of about anything we've talked about today before we go into our, our little activity. Uh, this is kind of the time. So does anyone have anything else they would like to add? Okay, uh, then I'm going to go into the game. It's called the uh, Something in Common game. It's just meant to be something a little bit lighter and more fun, considering we've talked about a lot of serious topics today. Um, and it's called the Something in Common Game. Uh, there's a couple of rounds and uh, I'm just gonna skip ahead. We're gonna do one round. And it is, we have to try to find something in common with each other that isn't a physical description about basically high school because we obviously all go to the same one or journalism. We have to find something in common. Ooh, that's tough. <laughs> <laughs> Where's like a good place we can start? <laughs> I don't even know. There's like not much about me that I, yeah, see. Um, you guys watch The Office. I feel like that's a place where there's a lot absolutely of- Absolutely not. Oh, I love yeah, Absolutely not. I love The Office. No, no, I can't. Yeah. I'm, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. 
just skip the first season and go straight into the second one. It's way better after that. Go ahead and skip the last season too. And the, after Michael Scott leaves, just stop watching. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I watch Grey's Anatomy. That's, I watch Grey's Anatomy. Yeah. No. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I watch it. Um, Alyssa, do you have a dog? No. Oh. oh. Sorry. I'm the odd one out. Um, do we all need some sort of like glasses to see? Because no. yep, Alyssa and I do. <laughs> we have I need glasses, yeah. I don't. Alex. Alex. <laughs> Alex here with her perfect eyes. Yeah, for right. real. What's like your favorite store to shop at? Do you like shopping? Target. Target. I love, I love Target. Target Shields. Target. <laughs> I wouldn't say it's my favorite. Stop playing. Target is superior. If we all like Target, that's something in common. Yeah. Um, what's you guys' favorite subject in school other than, obviously, newspaper? I like English. Yeah, English is definitely mine. I, I'm the best. I, that's the only one I'm good at. I absolutely despise English, but oh, I also don't really... No. I don't really like any other subjects. So yeah, I mean, I just like learning in general. Um, oh my gosh, iPhone or Samsung? iPhone. 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 Okay. Oh. I think we <laughs> We're all sheeples. Okay. There we go. There we go. Okay. Apple. So, Renee, are we ready to wrap it up? Sure, yeah. All right, cool. That is all that we had for you guys today on The Breakout Room. We hope our listeners enjoyed hearing our take on some current events and that our panelists had fun on the show. Yes, so thank you so much to our lovely panelists and our amazing listeners, and we'll talk to you in the next episode.